Good morning, everyone. Great to have everybody with us this morning. Great band starting us off this morning. Steve Cole rocking it out on the drums. Good to see so many of you on a day like today. I know it's a hot day. You could be, in a, be doing a ton of other things today, but welcome uh, Jenny and Walt this morning, Baptist and, Baptiste and Casey. Good to see you online this morning. Kristen, Michelle, uh, uh, Chris, uh, Holt and Bethany, a whole ton of you with us this morning. I am really grateful for how many of you make it a priority to be with us together on a Sunday morning. And I see you there and we feel this sense of togetherness even though we're apart. And I know some of you just like had to touch your screen three times to do it. And it was a big effort, but you did it. And so thanks for making the priority to be uh, part of our church community on Sunday morning. Welcome to those of you who might be checking Anthem out just for the first time or you're just kind of peering around, around the corner to take a look at this church and see what goes on. We're glad to have you with us. Uh, we've been talking uh, recently about uh, the uncomfortable Christian community and how uh, our church or any church can, uh, can lean into the parts of being a Christian community that are sometimes uncomfortable if we dig right into them in order to impact the world around us. When I was in my early 20s, I had a job where I would write people's wills, which is just wrong on a whole bunch of counts because, like, firstly, I was in my early 20s, and what I knew about legal language or the ability to uh, uh, write people's wills was pretty small. But the slightly suspect company that I worked for had brought into a franchise uh, where they would be able to, like, sort of almost plug and play different parag legal paragraphs that would go in somebody's will and then send out a highly uneducated person like me to sit with a family or a couple and to talk about, you know, where their money, their different uh, bequests and legacies would go uh, after they've passed away, even to, to who, you know, the, would be the guardians for their children. And I'm hoping that even two or three decades later, not any of those people have died yet and those people have revisited getting their will checked in, into because I can't imagine how, um, how dodgy some of those wills were that we put together. There's probably, there could be children now that have been you know, adopted by the wrong aunts and uncles because of stuff I did 30 years ago. So it's a bit of a worry on, on many levels. But I do know that to most of us, our legacy... And what we are leaving beyond um, our own future grave at some point is important to us. And what we, how we uh, leave things to our children or family members and how we close off our estate, our legacy, what we leave that lasts longer than us is important to so many of us. There's a, a, a moment in, if you watch The Office, there's a moment in The Office, and I'm not going to show you the clip this morning because uh, we tried that once before and it didn't go so well, right? But uh, there's a moment where Michael walks in and he's like, I need ideas, I need ideas. And of course, nobody knows what he's talking about. But what's happened is that there's some wet cement outside The Office, if you remember that clip, and he is desperate to know like, what he should write, what he should put in the... Uh, in the wet cement before it dries, something to last longer than his own life. And he thinks, you know, do I write my initials? No. Do I put my hands in it? No. And then somebody has the great idea, Michael, like put, put your whole head in it, you know. And uh, this, he, you know, leaves a mark in that wet cement that could not be ever uh, defined as being him. Um, but he's desperate to leave a legacy, desperate to leave something that goes beyond his years and into the future. And I think inside of all of us, there's that desire that some part of our lives may live longer than the 70 or 80 or 90, if we're lucky, years that we have on this earth. 
And as we've talked about the things in the Christian community that are uncomfortable, I think one of the things that should be at the top of our list is the way that Jesus calls out to live, calls us to live out the mission of his kingdom. And I believe this, and this is sort of my kind of like the big idea for this morning, that Jesus' plan is that his kingdom's impact be multiplied through transformed lives. That the impact of the kingdom of God get multiplied through your life, through my life, through our lives, through, trans- through other lives that have been transformed. And in so reaching through generation to generation to generation with the message of the gospel. Um, it is perhaps more important than it ever has been for those of us who call ourselves Jesus' followers to own the mission of Jesus. To say this is something that not just the organized church owns, but this is something that I, as one of Jesus' followers, own with all of my heart. And I take seriously the responsibility of the mission of Jesus. Right at the very beginning of his, of his ministry, after he'd been tempted in the, in the desert, uh, been taken into the desert for 40 days and tempted by the devil, Jesus came out victorious from that experience. Right at the very beginning, Jesus interacts with a woman uh, from Samaria, a Samaritan woman. And I want to just kind of read a little bit about the interaction between Jesus and this woman today as the kind of the, the, the theme for our talk. And in verse 5, he says, it says that Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, <clears throat> excuse me, will you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan, how can you ask me for a drink? And there's this kind of important parenthesis just right after that that says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She's saying, she's saying I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. There's this enormous ethnic divide between our two people groups. We don't have even the, the smallest of diplomatic relationships between our, our two groups. We are completely separated uh, by religion, by culture, by history, by language, everything to, defi- de- to def- divide these two groups of people was right there. And Jesus, as a Jew, is sitting down at the side of a well asking a Samaritan woman for a drink. In verse 10, it says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, not understanding really what's going on. You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did all his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water I give him will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and having to keep coming back here and draw water. So he, this woman's just still like not totally getting it, obviously. He told her, and this is where Jesus kind of switches the conversation. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Jesus knows this woman's life. Jesus knows what's going on behind the scenes with her. This is where you start to see Jesus as a prophet 
Jesus as a person who is, who, is, who is receiving from God words that will directly impact this woman's life. He says, go call your husband and come back. Might seem just a normal phrase for a, for a, a woman to be asked, hey, go get your husband. Let's, let's talk to the whole family. Let's, let's get this living water out to everybody. But he knows that there's, there's something going on under the hood here with just that phrase. And she replies, I have no husband, she replied. And then Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you say, what you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. And I always think that's amazing that that verse, you know, got in there. It's kind of like the understatement of the world, right? Like, yes, of course, he's a prophet. You know, nobody knows that stuff. Jesus had never been in her Samaritan village yet, you know, but he knows things about her. He knows she's had five husbands and now she's five husbands and now she's quit marriage altogether and she's just living with another guy. Suddenly it's gone from a conversation that she didn't really understand to a conversation where Jesus is deeply involved in her situation. Where where as a prophet he's speaking into her situation uniquely. This woman is Drawing water at noon for a reason. Remember, this is the, this is the hot Mediterranean sun. This is the, the kind of weather where you need to, to start the day as the sun comes up, and you need water for the day. You need jars of water in order to survive in that hot weather. And for some reason, this woman's not even doing that task until noon. And it's, it's because of this. It's because she's a social outcast. Her, her moral and relational world has left her in the situation where the, the community, her family, her town is like staying away from this woman. So she's, she's not coming with her, with her partner. She's coming to draw water in the heat of the day when everybody's gone. She's now with her sixth man, and clearly that's not acceptable in her community. And so she's having to be a complete outcast. Now, this, this, this conversation with Jesus and the Samaritan woman goes on for a little while, and they have a discussion about, about worship and tradition and culture and where worship should happen, and the Samaritans say it should happen here, and the Jews say it should happen here. And, uh, and Jesus paints a picture for her on a much higher level of how worshiping God should take place and where that exists. It is, this is like mind-blowing stuff for this woman that's grown up so entrenched in her very small religious, in one specific religious culture. And then Jesus reveals something to her that he's not really revealed to anyone till that time on, uh, during his ministry. And he doesn't really reveal it much, much else later either. But he makes it clear to her, the one you're speaking to right now, I'm the Messiah. This is, this is incredible. Jesus is inviting her in at a level that nobody's been invited her in but invited in yet. Jesus is accepting her in a way that he hasn't publicly accepted anyone yet, and he's picking a, a person who is at the bottom of the social standing. She's, she's an outcast. She's, she's the worst kind of uh, human you can imagine that Jesus picks to raise up to the, the highest level of acceptance into his life where he lets her know that he's the Messiah. And then it carries on. And this is, this is the big one. This, is, this, this verse right here is the stuff where, where you realize that, 
This interaction between Jesus and this woman is a setup for us today understanding the mission of God in our world. Because it says in verse 29 that this, uh, in verse 28, sorry, it says that, that then leaving her water jar, this woman gets up. It says, This woman went back to the town and she said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And verse 30 said, And they, they came out of the town and made their way towards him. That little section of verses is incredible to me. It says, leaving her water jar, she, she just ran back to the town. The very reason she'd come to the well for, she'd come out of the town to the well to draw water, presumably put that on her shoulder or her head and travel back to the town, but she leaves her water jar. The thing that she was getting uh, uh, like hydration from, you know, strength from, from the day for her and for her partner and all the rest of it. She just leaves it right there. Number one task, she's like, get back to town, tell people what's happened. She's like, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, we don't really think that Jesus told her everything she ever did, but he, he definitely honed in on those parts of her life which were most significant for her. He met her specifically at her point of, of feeling of identity, her, her relational world. And she's asking this question in front of everybody else. This guy could be the Messiah. This is it, guys. And it says they came out of the town and they made their way towards him. Incredible. As you and I live out the charge to live out the kingdom of God and to share God's kingdom with those around us, the role of joining Jesus in his mission, people will make their way towards him. As people realize that you're not completely insensitive to who they are, as people realize that you're not a jerk, that you are kind, that you think the best of the people around you, that you're not a racist, that you're not politically insensitive, that you are culturally aware, that you love people, that you're sensitive towards your neighbors who think differently to you, that you're not thoughtless, that you stand up for the poor and the marginalized, you stand up for injustice. People will make their way towards Jesus. I love the fact that in no time at all, this woman owned the mission of God for herself. You know, sometimes in, in our style, you know, if somebody has this, that's it, this experience with God, it, we want to say, well, I don't know enough. I, I should wait until I go, go back and tell anybody. I should keep it quiet. I should probably fix all my sin first. I mean, this woman didn't have time to fix anything. She was who she was, and uh, in, in the mess and in the kind of screwed up nature of her life, she was still willing to go back into her community and tell everybody what she knew about the man who had impacted her life miraculously. She didn't ask for permission. She didn't take a new believers class. She didn't wait till she understood everything. She just went right back, and she is telling the world the truth about Jesus. You know, I said earlier, so like that, that verse was the big one, that, that verse 28 and 29. But like moving on, like this is probably the big one right here. Verse 39 says, and get this, if you don't get anything else from this morning's thing, like get, get this. Verse 39 says that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Many of the Samaritans believed in Jesus because of that woman's testimony. How incredible is that? 
that the woman with no qualifications, with no like skill in speaking, with no knowledge of how to communicate either verbally or in action the, the message of the kingdom, with none of that, many people came and followed Jesus. Many people believed in him because of that woman's testimony. Why? Because Jesus' plan is always been, was then, and is now that the message of the kingdom of God be multiplied through transformed lives. So let me, let me talk to the person right now that feels like I am on step one of my journey with Jesus. I, I am peering through the, the, a crack in the door as if nobody knows I'm there and I'm looking inside to, to the church, to the family of God, to the kingdom of God. I'm just wondering, could this be? You know, if you're thinking, if, you're, if, you, if you feel like, well, I've got so many reasons why I have distaste for Christians, so many reasons why I disagree with them, I don't agree with them on this, on that, I think they're insensitive, I don't think that, you know, the whole thing puts together. If, but if you are just got your head around the corner, and you're thinking, could this be? Could this Jesus guy be something more significant than some guy that, that lived and then died and had a bit of a story to tell? If you're the person who's just putting your head around the corner, I believe that God wants to use what you already know about God to impact those around you. And it could be that your life, the life that you're starting to see that could be different, could already impact those around you. Because Jesus' plan from the very beginning was that his kingdom's message be multiplied through transformed lives. This woman came to draw water from the well one day. She came broken. She came ostracized and alone. And she left accepted with her countenance raised up. And she, she left confident in the salvation that she'd found from God. I read one blogger who said this about her. He said, this woman without a name who doesn't appear again in Scripture was an outcast in her own society. Jesus accepted her. Jesus reached out to her and she reached back. We can only wonder how many millions she has witnessed to over the last 20 centuries. This woman's story has reached millions. Think about it. Millions of people. And so this morning, I want to ask you, what part of the mission of God are you running towards in your life? I know it's very easy for people on the other side of this, this, this uh, uh, stream uh, to think, well, okay, I don't get to stand where Colin is, so therefore I can't uh, expand the mission of God. I know it's very easy to think, well, I don't, I don't work or serve at the church. I don't give to the church. I don't do this with the church or anything like that. So you feel like I, I don't qualify as somebody who can expand and multiply the mission of God. I believe that God's plan has always been for every single one of us to lean into the mission of God in some way in our lives. And so that's it's going to be my challenge for you today. I want you to think today, who is it that whose life I can impact by leaning into the mission of God in my life over the next over the next 48 hours, over the next 72 hours in my life. Earlier this week I was hanging out with a friend of mine. My friend Drew leads a church in Waltham. And when they started their church, they decided we're not going to start with like a Sunday service. We're going to do things backwards to what normal, quote unquote, normal churches do. But they they were rewriting a new normal. And they said, we're going to start by just getting groups of followers of Jesus together and 
and maybe just a, a couple of families. And we're going to start expanding because we're going to start reaching out to our neighbors and to our friends with the love of Jesus, with, with, the, with the love of Christ. And so I want to, I, I, I was just chatting with Drew about this stuff on, um, on Monday last, or last week, and I just thought, I want you to say this into a camera. So as I'm talking to Drew, I'm like, can you just say all that again? And uh, because I feel like it's, it's a, an encouraging word for us as the Anthem community. And so this is my friend Drew Thurman. He uh, leads uh, what they call Renaissance Church in Waltham. And uh, he had this to say. Watch this. Well, I think one of the things that we've discovered with our people as we're spending time with them and coaching them is that people make mission something that it's not. And a lot of people don't want to participate in mission because they think it's proselytizing people or just inviting people into a church brand. And I think a lot of that has to, in their minds, means I have to have a lot of knowledge or I've had to have a theology degree or I have to be have it all figured out. And one of the things that we're always trying to say is, well, that's really not the mission. Like when you actually get into that Latin term that's thrown around called the Missio Dei, from the very beginning, God's mission has been the restoration and the renewal of all things, not just converting people. You know, sin has impacts in all different areas. And so from the moment sin enters the world, we see that God's on this cosmic mission to restore us to him, to ourselves, to each other, and really to creation. And which is why when Jesus comes, he says that he's starting a kingdom, right? He doesn't say, I'm starting a religion, I'm starting a kingdom, and I'm trying to reset everything to what it was meant to be. Uh, It's the reason he teaches us in the Lord's Prayer to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what we're always trying to tell people is, the best way to participate in mission is where I'm already doing life, can I make it look a little bit more like heaven than earth? Can I bring a little bit of that restorative nature to where I'm doing life? And it doesn't have to be a big thing. Like it, it, it literally, like when I look at my neighborhood, when I look where I work, where I look where I play and where we frequent as third spaces, where do I see injustice? Where do I see brokenness? Where do I see hurt? Where do I see pain? And I can almost guarantee you that no matter how small the action is that you, that you participate in to like be a good neighbor or do something in kindness or to serve somebody or somebody, you're probably participating in making the world more like the kind of world God wants to make. And while we're obviously like anticipating and waiting for this day where we're going to fully realize all that restorative nature, we're still we're trying to answer Jesus's prayer in the here and now and live into that. And so, yeah, it's just it's just that simple. And so we're always just saying, where are you already doing your life? Where are you? Where can you participate? It doesn't have to be overtly churchy. It doesn't have to be like laced with all these theological knowledge. Just where does God already have me? Where am I already doing my life? Where's the brokenness and hurt and pain around me? How can I join? And bringing redemption and restoration there. And if I do that, uh, I'm participating in the mission of joining God. And my guess is, is that your people at Anthem, they're probably already doing those things, and they've never actually thought of themselves as participating in the mission, and they just need to lean in a little bit harder and be a little bit more intentional about realizing that they are doing God's work right then and there. I love how Drew and his team are kind of churching, turning church on its head a little bit. And they're just thinking that phrase he said, you know, where in my life, where am I living in my life, in my, my, my neighborhood, in my business, in my school? Can I lean into the mission of Jesus just a little bit more and make earth a little bit more like heaven? Um, you know, uh, 
I started this reading this passage of scripture out. If you if you have your Bible open this morning, and somebody told me the other day that they they uh, watch the stream with their Bible in hand, which is awesome. And you know, read your own Bible. Check that I'm not making this up. But the very beginning of that chapter, I kind of went past it and started at verse five. But the very beginning of that chapter sets up this interaction that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman by saying this, verse one. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but it was his disciples. So the Pharisees are getting wind of the fact that Jesus is like, you know, overshadowing John the baptizer, and that's all fine. But the point that that, uh, the gospel writer makes here, he says, actually, it wasn't Jesus that was baptizing. It was John that was it was uh, Jesus' disciples that were doing the baptizing. Can you imagine, you know, if, if, uh, if your friend said he wanted to get baptized, you'd probably just say, okay, go speak to Colin, because that's what he does at Anthem. No, like, it's okay for every follower of Christ to baptize people. And that's almost, I know that feels like, oh, that's one of the uncomfortable things. That's what, if there's anything that's the uncomfortable part of the Christian community, the idea that I would baptize somebody feels uncomfortable to me. I feel like that should be somebody who's trained in putting someone's head under the water and bringing them back out. Um, no, it, it was Jesus, his disciples, his earliest followers, that right at the beginning, they're involved in baptizing new believers. I find that incredible because it sets up this idea that Jesus always wants to multiply his kingdom impact through other transformed lives, not just through it being at the hub of a church community like this, but actually being spread and multiplied through every transformed life. And I love what Drew and his team are thinking because in very practical ways, they are living out what Jesus called the great commandment, the greatest commandment. Do you remember what that was? He said that the whole Old Testament law can be summed up in two, uh, two parts of one commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And That whole thing about love your neighbor as yourself, let's dig into that. Let's think, I wonder what that means. Because there's a thought where we could say, you know what, this word neighbor might actually, in the original Greek or Hebrew or something like this, might actually mean neighbor. What if God is asking me to take the mission of God to expand his kingdom to the immediate circle of people around me, even to where I live. You know, maybe you could make a cake for a neighbor. Maybe there's an opportunity where we could somehow reach into the hearts and lives of those who God has just put around us. And who is my neighbor? This, the, the neighbor might be the person who is in nearest proximity to you that you just wave every day. And God is saying, Will you take a step forward? I don't even know what that step is. Ask the Lord what that step is. And will you take a step forward into expanding the mission of God to reach your neighbor? Because Jesus' plan is that his kingdom, his kingdom's impact might be multiplied through transformed lives. Our band is going to lead us in in a song in a moment, but before they do, let me pray for all of us. And if you can pray and ask God, God, where do you want me to lean into your mission? I want to encourage you to do that before the the, the band sings. Lord Jesus, this morning, I thank you for the clearest 
um, description in your word of a relationship that you had with somebody that showed that the, the mission is for us, for every single follower of Christ to lean into and to take your word, to take the, the gospel message of the kingdom to the, the folks around us that you've put in our community. And I pray just for this moment that we might just think for a moment, who in my circle do you want me to lean into the mission of Jesus with? And I pray that you'll give us, give us a name. I pray that you'll give us a couple of names, maybe neighbors, maybe coworkers. Rather than make this, this neighbor thing a big ethereal phrase that doesn't actually narrow itself down to one individual. But God, may there be one or two individuals who we realize I need to take a step forward in reaching into that person's life with the love of Christ. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.